these lessons that I highlighted was not so that, hey, Buffett did this, don't do that. It's even Buffett did this. You're not going to be perfect. Your record will have blemishes. It's, it's all part of it. However, if you are going to make mistakes, and we all know that we are, how do you put yourself in a position to not be crippled by them, to not develop the mental scar tissue, to live to fight another day, and to not really blow a hole in your retirement? That is Michael Batnick, author of Big Mistakes, The Best Investors and Their Worst Investments. Today on Your Money, Your Wealth, Michael shares the investing blunders of Warren Buffett, Jack Bogle, Mark Twain, and more, and what we can learn from them. By the way, make sure you don't blow up your retirement. Click special offer at yourmoneyyourwealth.com and download our quick retirement calculation guide for free. Spend 10 minutes to see if you're on track for the rest of your life. Plus, should you sign up for Medicare and which parts? And Big Al's got five smart ways to collect more Social Security benefits. And the fellas answer the question, can you still take a lump sum from those benefits to buy a red Ferrari? Now here are Joe Anderson, CFP, and Big Al Clopine, CPA. Super excited here today. Can't wait, Joe. We got Michael Batnick on, the irrelevant investor. You got to check out the irrelevant investor. It's a wonderful blog and one of the best podcast hosts besides you better than us no way better way way better than us much better animal spirits michael batnick is the director of research at ritholtz wealth management it's an ira headquartered in new york city uh he sits on the investment committee and is responsible for portfolio construction and in-house risk management strategies michael is the author of the irrelevant investor blog where he aims to educate people about investing. He's the co-host of the weekly podcast, Animal Spirits, with Ben Carlson. Uh, Michael is also the author of the new book that we're here to talk about, Big Mistakes, The Best Investors in Their Worst Investments. Michael, I know you're a busy guy. I really appreciate you taking some time. Want to dive in. So uh, first of all, thank you. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. So tell me the genesis here behind... The best invest because there's all sorts of investment books, right? So you could say, "Hey, the best investors, let's learn from them," or you could say, "Hey, let's not do anything of what these other people do." But these are really smart, intelligent individuals that made huge mistakes. So what, what you're like, well, what the hell? Let's just kind of look at these individuals and see how they blew up. Well, none of the well, not none of the, some of them were blowups. Um, but I wanted to write a book. I I got some really good advice from uh, a few people, and one of them was write a book that you would want to read. And this certainly fell in that category. So I was very excited to write it. There's a million books on Buffett and how to get rich and how to day trade and how to do this and how to do that. And there are not many books that look at the opposite way, which is investing is really hard for everybody. Whether you're managing, you know, just your 401k or a billion dollar hedge fund, it's very difficult. So Let's create some empathy for yourself, for your future self, and the way to do that is by studying the best investors, uh, learning from their mistakes. And this is not a – it's not – I don't like how-to books, so I do not intend this to be a how-not-to book. It's just sort of a, listen, stuff happens, take it in stride, avoid the catastrophic mistakes because you're, you're going to make a ton of little mistakes along the way. That's inevitable. But if you can avoid the catastrophic ones that you can't come back from, that's a pretty good place to start. Well, some of these pretty smart people made some catastrophic mistakes. They did. So, uh, uh, I mean, one of the catastrophic ones that comes to mind is certainly LTCM, a long-term capital management. And if you want the, the full version, I would suggest reading Roger Lowenstein's When Genius Failed. But their deal was they were the smartest guys in the room, quite literally. They had Nobel laureates, uh, the guys that created the Black-Scholes model. And what happens is Economics 101, what they were doing was working really, really well. They found inefficiencies in the market. Competition came in. 
they needed to lever up because the spreads were getting narrower and narrower, and then kablooey. So I think that there's a really practical lesson for everyday investors, especially those of us who think we're above average, which is basically everybody. If, if you're if you're fortunate enough to have saved enough, you know, money um, for your future, then chances are you've had a decent education, and then chances are you think that because you're successful um, studying medicine or engineering or whatever the case may be, that that could translate into the markets, and that is not the case at all. I read that book, and it is amazing how bad. That whole long-term capital management just blew up the entire market. I mean, and these are the smartest of the smartest people in the world. And if the smartest people in the world make those types of mistakes, you know, and like you were saying, a lot of people are overconfident, right? Mm -hmm. Hey, I have a degree. I've saved some money. I got a million bucks. You know, I've done pretty well. And so that overconfidence always gets individuals into trouble. And all of these individuals that you write about, I mean, is is a perfect example of that. I I think one of the truly seductive things about the market is even though genius might not be rewarded, you only need to get lucky once, right? And the bank doesn't care how you how you made your money. If it was luck, they don't say, oh, sorry, that money's no good here because it wasn't skill, it was luck. And I think that's what keeps people coming back time after time. Hope certainly springs eternal. You know, and this book is written well, really well. It's like a, a bunch of little short stories. You know what I mean? It, it was very yeah, well, enjoyable to read. I do know what you mean, and thank you for saying that. That was very much intentional. I, I read a lot of books, and I'm very sensitive to the fact that the last thing anybody wants to read these days is a 350-page finance book. So two things that I did. One, I made each chapter uh, under 4,000 words, and it, and they're, they're not sequential. So if you don't want to read the if you're sick of Buffett and Munger, you don't want to read their chapters, skip it. No big deal. Um, so I wanted to make I wanted to respect the audience and not overwhelm them with, with words. Who was your favorite person um, that that you wrote about in the book that uh, or or surprised you the most? So many to choose from. The one that comes to mind first is probably Mark Twain. Uh, he would have been man if you gave him a Twitter account, he would have been deadly. He had <laughs> he had he had quite a way with words, and his problem was that he was easily seduced, especially by entrepreneurs and innovators. And not just that, he, he blew up uh, all sorts of ways. He, he invested in gold mines and silver mines. And at the end of the day, he kept throwing good money after bad and was forced to do a round-the-world stand-up comedy tour. And there's a really good book on that um, in which he had to, I mean, literally travel the world to repay his debts. Yeah, I mean, when I was reading that, it's like, man, this guy, I had no idea. You know, and then it's like he's like either on crack. I mean, he can't help himself. He's like he's got this crazy addiction of just keep, you know, not giving up, uh, which is yeah, which so- is very admirable in one end. But it's like, come on, Mark, you're, you're making me nervous here. You're killing me. So I, I can't remember if this was left on the cutting room floor. Um, but one of his one of the people that helped write his ship was this guy, Rock, Rock Hound, something. He was a standard oil partner. And as soon as he got out of debt. He was right after this guy asking him to get into the syndicates and asking him if he had any stock tips. Like, he did not learn his lesson at all. <laughs> yeah, like, what? He was almost 60 years old and he had to take the around the world stand up comedy tour. Yeah, he, um, he, just, he just could not help himself. He, he certainly was infected with the fear of missing out. What about Warren Buffett? I mean, all we hear about is really good things about Warren Buffett. What types of mistakes um, did he make? Yeah, so one of the things that he did, and, and this is sort of nitpicking because 
you know, of course, over the course of a 70 year career, there's going to be mistakes, but this was certainly a big one. So he had been successful buying uh, some shoe companies, and then he took the success that he had with previous ones and was overconfident in buying one called Dexter Shoes, which was a company up in Maine that he paid. The big mistake was, and this is not applicable to you and I, because none of us are going to have the opportunity to buy a company <laughs> with shares in our own stock. So, um, but he paid around, I think, three or four hundred million dollars for this company, which is now a zero, and the shares are worth upwards of seven billion dollars. So that one, that one stung. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Michael, I, I got a question. So you wrote about sixteen different people in your book, and what are what were some of the biggest takeaways? Because I think a lot of times we learn from other people's failures. In fact, I think most successful people ha- have had failures. And, and what are some of the big takeaways? If, if you could maybe highlight one or two. Yeah, if I had to just boil this down, and this is just what I constantly write about, investing is really hard. And I think people people underestimate um, how hard it is to beat the market, and I think they overestimate how hard it is to even keep up with the market. Um, and and these, these lessons that I highlighted was not so that, hey, Buffett did this, don't do that. It's even Buffett did this. You're not going to be perfect. Your record will have blemishes. It's, it's all part of it. However, if you are going to make mistakes, and we all know that we are, how do you put yourself in a position to not be crippled by them, to not develop the mental scar tissue, to live to fight another day, and to not really blow a hole in your retirement? What, what type of advice would you give our listeners on, you know, we're all going to make mistakes, right? But w- what are some things that people can do to, to maybe avoid some of the mistakes before they happen, right? Sure. So this is a really easy one. I think that uh, most listeners can take something away. Uh, Bill Ackman, um, he was shouting from the top of the roofs about Herbalife life, and how in the world can you do that and then change your mind, right? <laughs> like your 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 predictions and what you tell other people, whether it's it's politics or, or anything, sports, whatever, um, really become part of your identity. So there's no reason to be talking to your friends about your best trade or whatever. And if you are going to talk publicly about what you're doing. If you absolutely cannot help yourself, say, hey, I like stock XYZ. I'm going to buy it at 100. um, And here's why I'm buying it. And if that changes, maybe I will get out. Or if it goes below 90, I will get out. Give yourself an exit plan. Because um, if you like something for, you know, fundamental reasons or whatever at 100, then you love it at 70 and you love it more at 60 and you love it more at 20. I mean, that's no way to invest. Okay, so how should you invest? Visit the white paper section of the Learning Center at yourmoneyyourwealth.com and download the free white paper, Pursuing a Better Investment Experience. Learn 10 key decisions that'll help you effectively target long-term wealth in capital markets. Find out how to let the markets work for you, why chasing past performance is a mistake, what drives expected returns, and how to improve your odds of long-term success. Download the white paper, Pursuing a Better Investment Experience for free from the white paper section of the Learning Center at yourmoneyyourwealth.com. Welcome back to the show. The show's called Your Money, Your Wealth. Joe Anderson here, Big Al, hanging out. We're talking to Michael Batnick. Check out his blog, theirrelevantinvestor.com. We're speaking to him about his new book, Big Mistakes, The Best Investors in Their Worst Investments. Even with Ben Graham, he kind of changed his tune over the years. I help our listeners educate them on who, who sure. Benjamin Graham is. So Benjamin Graham is the dean of value investing, uh, wrote the book called Security Analysis, which basically invented the field. I think he was one of the founders of uh, one of the financial analysis societies. I don't know if it's a CFA. I can't remember right now. But he was a, you know, died in the wool value investor. And 
you have to be careful because things were very different back then. What he would do is he would buy a company that was trading at two-thirds less its working capital. And those companies, of course, don't exist anymore. Um, but they used to exist, and there was a lot of inefficiencies in the market. And as he got older, he really questioned whether value investing the way that he did it would work going forward. And this was like in the 60s. Um, so nothing as, as sophisticated as how trading has gotten today. So he was pretty cautious going into the crash of 1929, and he held most a lot of preferred stocks. And then he he tried to go in when stocks were down 70% or something, and he was early because stocks looked attractive, obviously. And then he got absolutely cremated. And the lesson was that is just there are limitations to value investing. I mean, obviously, and we're seeing that today. So that was just one example of many that there are no surefire ways to do this. Well, uh, he's uh, Warren Buffett's mentor in, sure. in a sense, yeah. right? And so he's the, the, the grand pooba of, of investing. We're taught, you know, some of the smartest people now. Uh, well, Warren Buffett is, I don't know, how old is he now? 95. So, But if, if you look at uh, how you wrote that old chronicle of events, he was very smart and found a way to, to find mispricings in the overall market. But what I found, um, which was very interesting to me, is that there was only a handful of firms, maybe half the firms on the Dow, that actually had you know, the right reporting that you could figure out exactly what the heck is going on, you know, with, with yeah. the overall companies. I think I think we take a lot of information today for granted. But back then, like there was no reporting requirements, at least certainly not before 1934. Uh, what you had was like was the dividend yield and, you know, take it or leave it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What do you think? Um, all yeah. right. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. OK. okay. So, yeah. And then like and then the, the opposite of Ben Graham was Jesse Livermore. Right. who was the most famous trader and speculator of all time. If Ben Graham is the father of value investing, he's the father of you know trend-following technical analysis. And he, uh, also like Mark Twain, ha- was, was beautiful with his language and would always come up with these eloquent lessons and sayings and aphorisms that he, that he learned after the fact. And he couldn't even follow his own simple lessons and got blown up a million times, uh, made him lost several fortunes, made $100 million in, in 1929, gave it all back, and eventually took his own life. So it's it's sort of ironic that the most quoted trader ever right buy um, high sell not, low exactly all those sort of things <laughs> could not even follow his own rules. All of these people have their own unique stories, uh, but that gentleman, man, how many times did he go broke and then all of a sudden in a, a couple of months he's right back in the game? Yeah, his story is, is very sad. Um, and you're watching a slow motion train wreck when you read those books. <laughs> <laughs> what, what about Jack Bogle? You got him on the list. What, what, was, uh, what were some of his mistakes? Jack Bogle, I forget exactly how old he was in 1976 when he started the index fund, but he was almost 50 years old. And he was, before that, he was the CEO of the Wellington Fund, which is one of the uh, four oldest, I believe, mutual fund structures. And what happened was he got seduced and swept away like so many other people did in the late 1960s by the go-go years. Uh, there's a great book called that by John Brooks, which I would recommend. And the name of the game was just rapid fire trading, trading high turnover. And they were getting left behind in their, you know, balanced, old, boring portfolio. So what they did was they brought in a group of, of young professionals from Boston and they totally veered away from the core of their of what they were doing. And they ended up in like the bottom two percentile of returns over the previous decade. And uh, his mentor, Walter Morgan, who I think was the founder of the London Funds, he felt like deeply. He felt that he deeply um, let him down, and, and was sort of aghast at what he let happen. And I think w- one of the funny things that Bolger wrote about was he even started a mutual fund that was using technical analysis. 
<laughs> which is so far afield from his core belief. So the lesson with that is it takes time to find who you are as an investor or, or you know, if, you, or if you're a trader or – and some people just never get there. So if, if you've had some bad experiences in the past, you know, just, just keep searching and you'll find what, what suits your personality. The last one on the list is Michael Batnick. Yeah, yeah. What, what did he? What did yeah. he do? What the hell did you do? <laughs> Ooh, yeah. So I was I was very fortunate in that it, it didn't take me that long to smell the roses, and I credit a few things to this, which I'll get back to in a minute. But one of them is Twitter, and the other of them is is a diary that I kept, or a diary sounds weird, a journal, I suppose. It's a diary. Um, so the, <laughs> it's a, it's a totally a diary. It's, 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 it's a, a man diary. Yeah, it's a man diary. It's like you, you got a man purse too. It's all right. Yeah. So. <laughs> So what I did was, like many other people, the first book that I read from the library was The Intelligent Investor, and I was so excited by what I was reading. The whole Mr. Market thing, of course, really resonated, because how could it not? It's really sort of a light bulb moment. And then I tried doing some really amateur valuation work. I was just using you know PE ratios and whatever. And of course, that didn't work very well. Surprise, surprise. And then I read um, uh, The Little Book of Common Sense Investing, and I thought, Oh, of course, this makes sense. If, if Buffett's leaving his his money uh, to index funds, then maybe that makes sense, and and the data is compelling. So I tried doing that, but that was really boring. And then I found reminiscences of a stock operator, and then the ultimate light bulb. Ah, I will be the next Jesse Livermore or the next <laughs> Alter Jones, and I will cut my losses short and ride my winners. And that's really easy to say and really hard to do. So over the course of about two years, I tried doing the macro thing, I tried doing the micro thing, I tried doing the chart thing, and I said, you know what, I respect the market. It is a ruthless, relentless foe that I have no interest in trying to conquer. And so I basically ended up with um, some sort of, I, I do believe that buy and hold is, uh, to say it works, I mean obviously, but the reason why it quote unquote works is because it's, you know, in my opinion, all but impossible. I think that um, riding through a uh, 60% decline is um, just not in the cards for most people, and I would put myself alongside most people. So I invest in a simple, simple, simple trend-following model to protect myself from myself. I invest in index funds, and I invest in some quantitative rules-based strategies. Um, I'm not really uh, – I, I think that obviously discretionary managers, um, they, there will be some winners, but I have no interest in, in trying to pick those. So um, that's that's the evolution of and, and where I am today. So you're not shorting anything right now? Not yet. I think, <laughs> coming. I think the last thing I shorted was I can't remember, but I think I started. I was shorting Green Mountain, um, which of course got bought out by Coca Cola, probably eight hundred percent higher than when I first started shorting. I shorted Amazon. I shorted Netflix. I mean, I I I uh, I made all the mistakes in the book. And I, uh, luckily, I never I never took a big loss, but I never took a big gain either. I was not one to let my winners run. I was just it just didn't fit my personality. Uh, last question: uh, How the hell did you find time to write the book? I mean, I think you read like seventeen books a week. I think you binge watch—I don't know what—four or five different uh, Netflix shows. Um, how, how, and plus, you work full time. Uh, what? How did you find time here, brother? Well, the the trick is that I had a really young child, and I was anxious to get out of the house in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> That's the truth. <laughs> so, if you want to write a book, have a baby, and that'll be all the motivation you need to to uh, hole up in a coffee shop. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! Well, hey, I know you're busy. Hey, uh, I guess another one. What do you think of uh, LeBron here in uh, Los Angeles? In terms of what? I don't know. Do you, what do you think of the trade? Um, you're an NBA guy, right? Trade. It was free or, agency. Uh, a free agency. Uh, yes. Uh, <laughs> I guess your facts, yes, right, I Anderson? No doubt. <laughs> uh, uh, no, 
think I think this is I think this is fairly well telegraphed. Um, I I love good basketball, so I'm not one of the people who's mad at what Golden State is doing. I understand. And listen, I'm a Knicks fan, so it doesn't affect me. Like I'm not, we're not contending for anything. So <laughs> I love watching good basketball. I, I think that LeBron. So because I'm a Knicks fan and I have nothing to hold on to, the only thing that has kept me engaged over the last 15 years is rooting with everything I got against the best player in the world, LeBron James. <laughs> and uh, so that has that has what's kept me engaged. He's listen. He's he's a he's by all accounts he seems like a good a great guy. He's a role model. He's done everything the white way since he was 18 years old. Just beyond remarkable. I don't think that this team currently has any chance to, to you know, make it past the Rockets or the Warriors, um, but we'll see what they do in years two and three. should be exciting. Thank you very much, Mike. Hey, where can people uh, find more information about you? Uh, you can find me at Google. Uh, oh, come on. I want you to promote <laughs> yourself. I want you to sell yourself, or do you want me to do okay. it for you? Yeah, no, okay, I'll take a shot at it. So I'm <laughs> at Mike Fatnick on Twitter, and I do a podcast every week with my partner, Ben Carlson, called Animal Spirits, where we discuss a dozen topics that are going on that are interesting to us. How about your blog? It's pretty good. Ah, yes. Um, my blog is uh, michaelbatnick.com or theirrelevantinvestor.com. That works too. Theirrelevantinvestor.com. I would encourage everyone to go there. Get Animal Spirits. We'll put all this stuff in our show notes. Uh, Michael Batnick, thank you so much. I'm a huge fan. It's uh, It was such a pleasure and a treat to chat with you. Yeah, the pleasure was mine. Thanks, guys. To read the transcript of this very rapid-fire interview and for links to all of the books and websites that Michael Batnick mentioned in it, go to the show notes for this episode at yourmoneyyourwealth.com. Don't miss our guest next week, best-selling author of The Fun Formula and co-host of the Bad Crypto Podcast, Joel Calm. Click subscribe to our podcast at yourmoneyyourwealth.com to get it on your favorite podcast app or enter your email address to subscribe to our podcast newsletter so you don't miss a thing. Time now for Big Al's List. Every week, Big Al Clopine scours the media to find the best tips, do's and don'ts, mistakes, myths, and advice to improve your overall financial picture. This week, Social Security, five smart ways to get more benefits. I'm kind of uh, excited, as usual, for my list. This is uh, news you can use. All right. And the reason why this is important is we know that uh, that roughly half of the people out there, Social Security is the is the biggest part of their income in retirement. So it's important to get it right. Got it. So we're going to spend some time on that. So the first way is to work long enough to max out your benefits because Social Security Administration uses a formula to determine how much you receive in monthly income and the formula factors in your highest 35 years of earnings and some people when they retire maybe they only have 30 years and so how does that work if you only have 30 years Joe? I'm gonna ask you questions. <laughs> You're interviewing me. I am. Um, I'm pretty good at interjecting here too, Al. But uh, I'm gonna, I'm, yeah, here's yeah. how it works. <laughs> so, 35 years is what they're looking to calculate um, your PIA. Um, that's your primary insurance amount. And how they do it is that they look throughout, and they'll index that with inflation. So they'll look 30 years ago, 35 years ago, or whatever. Um, so, if you're so stopped working now, yeah, so my my first job uh, as a, five thousand bucks. Yeah, I was I was I worked in the summer uh, in a landscaping job making minimum wage. Sure, as long as you're putting in the social security system that they yeah, that would which plug I was. in. Yeah, yeah. And then they would look at that and they would index that with inflation. So let's say it was five thousand dollars that you made throughout that year. Then they would say, all right, well that was thirty years ago, thirty five years ago, given certain inflation factors, that's equivalent to forty thousand yeah, dollars today, or whatever the number is. So, so you don't necessarily get penalized for that. Low 
low amount. Right. And so it's going to be included in the number. So they look at 35 years. If you only work 30 years, they're just going to plug zeros in those holes. Okay, so you have five years at zero. Right, so, so that's an average of 35 years. Yeah, yeah. So five years of zeros or, you know, it, it will affect it. Sure, and, of course it will. And, but. The, and we know that you have to work 40 quarters or, or, or 10 years to, to qualify for Social Security. But if you only work 10 years, you may qualify, but the benefit's not going to be that great because 25 years will be calculated at zero. You got it. Yeah. So uh, number two is to increase your earnings. That's easy, right? Just make more. Well, there's a few things that you could do there to increase, I guess, your 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 PIA is to continue. Yeah, you got to continue to work. Um, it won't hurt you, though. Sometimes people will do this, is that let's say, hey, I'm going to retire. This question comes up, is that I'm going to retire, um, but I want to work part-time. Is that going to affect my Social Security benefits in a negative fashion? Uh, and the answer is absolutely not. Uh, they will never reduce the benefit just because you made a little bit lower money. They'll, they'll still take the highest 35 they'll, years. They'll, just, they'll continue to take the highest 35 years. And, and chances are if you work 35 years and then you, you work a few more, you, you probably those are probably higher, even though you're working part-time, than maybe your first few years. You got it, right. So you work part-time and half-time or whatever, uh, those would then be in your calculation. So that in, could, could increase your overall benefit. Yeah, so the maximum uh, wage for 2018 is $128,400. In other words, once you make that amount, if, if you do make that amount, that's the max that you'll get benefit for, for Social Security. So if you're something lower, let's say you're 60000 80000 100000 whatever. So the, the idea there is if you can improve your skills, start, you know, try to try to earn more, uh, maybe there'll be some bonuses, or maybe you do a, a side hustle, you have a side job, because that would qualify for Social Security as well. If you can get as close as possible, or up to the 128400 you've got a maximum benefit for 2018. Yeah, but a lot of times people can't get there. So the, the, well, yeah, but the easier way, well, I don't know if it's easier, you just got to work a couple more years. Well, that, yeah, that's that's very but true. But no one wants to do that. No, because we want to retire when we want to retire. Exactly. Delay claiming Social Security benefits. Yeah. Because uh, full retirement age right now, right here, right today, is 66 years of age. Uh, but uh, very soon, it'll be 67. It'll be gradually brought in. I think, I think for those born in 1960 and later, it'll be 67. Joe, and so that's full retirement age. That's where you, you receive your primary insurance amount, the, the, the full benefit. You can take it as early as 62, but it's a reduced benefit. Or you can wait as long as 70, and you get a much higher benefit. So every year, actually every month that you wait, it's, right. it's a higher benefit for the rest of your life. Yeah, most people don't understand that, too, that Social Security is calculated monthly. Yeah. So, so they think, well, okay, I, I made it to full retirement age, and there's no, there's no, I'm not going to work till another year, so I'll just start claiming it. And so you, if you w wait another month or two, you get a bigger benefit. Not much, but... Not much, but you get something. Yeah, maybe can of Pabst Blue Ribbon. <laughs> I know everything is in, in, in accordance with Pabst Blue Ribbon. Well, but that one year when we got the... Um, the, the the colon social security was a few years ago. And yeah. I think it calculated. It was out it to was like point oh one. Yeah, everyone got eight dollars. Yeah, right. and, and you were going, well, that's not even a case of <laughs> that's absolute even, limit. That's not even a case of PBR. <laughs> oh, but no, that this is a difficult decision that people need to spend a little bit more time on when it comes to figuring out when they claim their benefits, because <clears throat> when you retire, 
before, let's say, full retirement age or even before age 70, all right, is that people will claim their benefit as soon as they retire in most cases because they want to get that income in. Because we were trained and taught or whatever or in our brains or our, our fears is not to dip into our retirement accounts as little as possible. Sure. Right? So you want to let those continue to defer, 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 defer. I don't want to touch my investments. So what do they do? They'll claim their Social Security benefits to have some form of income in so to preserve their assets. So they like to see a larger balance on their 401k statement, or they like to look at their checking or banking accounts and say, you know what, I don't have to dip or, or deplete these assets. So a lot of times, psychologically, people will just take it. Please think that through, because it might make more sense for you to deplete some of your assets to have a lot larger guaranteed income stream for the rest of your life. Because, as Al alluded to, you receive a, be- a, a bigger benefit if you wait till age 70, but it's, it's substantial. From age 62 to age 70, it's, what, 100 and some odd percent. It, it's, actually, it's actually, I think, 76% higher, waiting from 62 to 70. So, in, in other words, if you would have got 1000 bucks at age 62, you would, you would get 1760 call it $1,800. Uh, at age 70. And that's that's important because if you look at the Social Security uh, actuarial tables, in other words, how it was calculated, it was done in 1983, Joe. And that's when we had we weren't living as long as we're living right now. So as long as you have reasonable or normal life expectancy, you're going to do better waiting. Uh, and I know everyone wants to do the break-even analysis. What's the break-even analysis? And, and d- depending upon what assumptions you right. take, it's probably around 80, plus or minus, maybe 82 years of age. Or 79. 79. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> 79, 82, 78, whatever. But, but here's, here's why that may not be the, the best way to judge this, because no one knows how long they're going to live. And the, the thing is, this is a guaranteed source of income for life that's tax-favored. In, at right. The, That's at a really the, good point. At the worst case, uh, you're gonna you're gonna have you're only you're gonna have 15 percent tax free of your Social Security. 85 percent of it is taxable, mm-hmm. and then depending upon your state, like California, for example, it's tax free in California. So if you have a much bigger benefit, and you and it's it's kind of like longevity insurance in a in a way, Joe, because because if everything goes to hell in a handbasket. You still have a lot larger fixed income stream, right? You and, know what I mean. And I would say, especially for married couples, if you have one spouse that has a much higher benefit than the other, you might want to have that one spouse with the highest benefit wait as long as possible. Because the way it works is is not only will you receive that benefit as a couple, but when one of you passes, the survivor will still get that benefit, right? And if you both claimed it early, then the survivor is only going to get the smaller benefit on whichever one's bigger, right? So, but, 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 you know, here's the, here's the but, which which is if you need it, you need it. And and that, so, so sometimes in a lot of cases, we know from studies, uh, recent studies from Voya Insurance that, that 50% of people get, they get laid off or they leave their jobs sooner than they were expecting, right? Where, whether it's either from caring for a family member or their own health, or they just got laid off because the company downsized, or, or maybe the technology's changing and the person hasn't kept up, whatever it may be. And so if that's your situation, if you were expecting to work to age 70, and now all of a sudden you're out of work at age 62, and if you can't find a job and you don't have other resources, then yeah, you're going to have to claim it. What else is on the list? Move to a state where your benefits won't be taxed. California, here you come. That's right. 
So it turns out there's 13 states, Joe, that actually do tax some or all of Social Security. Hopefully you don't live in one of these states. Colorado, Connecticut, Kansas, Minnesota, your home state. Yep. Missouri. That's why I moved. Yeah, exactly. Missouri, Montana, Nebraska, New Mexico, North Dakota, Rhode Island, Utah, Vermont, and West Virginia. All of those states tax Social Security, at least all or part of it, whereas the other... 37 states, it's tax-free, California being one of them, That's which is where we record from. That's pretty good math right there. I, I did it just in my head. I <laughs> didn't even need my calculator. <laughs> can, can you I was imagine? like, oh, God, where's it going to go? Oh, boom, killed yeah. it. <laughs> so, <laughs> but, you know, but that's a big deal. I think we just talked about the tax treatment of Social Security, which I think a lot of times people will not include in their overall calculation. Well, I, I think that's right, because if you look at most people's income in retirement, and, and when I say most people, I'll say most people that have saved into retirement accounts, uh, typically their 401ks, their IRAs, maybe their defined benefit plans from their employer, that money, 99% of that comes out as ordinary income, you pay a high tax rate. And so if you add Social Security on top of that, you're just, you're just now paying even more tax. And the fact that Social Security is tax favored, meaning that you get, it, at, at worst case, you only have to pay tax on 85% of Social Security, 15% is tax free. In some cases, you only pay tax on half of Social Security. In other cases, Social Security is completely tax free. And then if your state is tax-free, then, you're, then you, you at least have some of your income that's tax-favored because a lot of your other income may not be. Right. So, you know, you, you hear of the, the brokerage firms out there and the bond brokers, and they talk about municipal bonds, and they talk about the tax equivalent yield, right? So if I have a municipal bond, it's tax-free to me. That's right. And then let's say that bond yield is 3%, but then they'll say, well, the tax equivalent yield is closer to 6 right? Why don't we do that with Social Security? I think more people would be educated on it because, hey, yeah, you're getting, let's say, an 8% delayed retirement credit on the overall benefit. But it's more than 8% because you're not getting taxed on all of that. Right. That's a good point. And you're not getting taxed at all if you live in the state of California. So just understand the taxation of all of your income. You got one more? I do. The fifth one is uh, develop a strategy with your spouse. And uh, this, boy, this changed a lot a couple years ago, didn't it? Yeah, there was um, file and suspend, collect now, collect later. There was restricted applications. There was all sorts of stuff. But um, now it's just looking at who has a higher benefit. I think you already alluded to this. I I did. You you look at the spousal benefit. You look at survivor benefits. um, And just making sure that both of you are claiming at the appropriate time. One spouse might want to claim a little bit early, and the other one might want to wait until age 70. Yeah, and and generally it's the one with the higher benefit would wait till age seventy because then again, as I said, that that's the benefit that both either survivor would end up with, and the and yeah, in many cases, Joe, I would agree with you. The one with the lower benefit, they could start rather early if they wanted to potentially. Right now, you also have to look at spousal benefit and and which is half of of the higher wage earners benefit. However, that's only half at full retirement age. It, 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 when you get past there, there's no benefit. Right. There's no additional benefit. Yeah, and if you take it early, just know that it's going to be reduced. So a lot of things to consider when it comes to Social Security. Um, Go to our website, if you'd like, at purefinancial.com. We have a webinar that I did on Social Security. It's one of the highest-rated videos on YouTube. Really? One of the highest ones that you actually did on a Friday in January of 
Yeah, on YouTube of our YouTube channel. Oh, on, on, on our YouTube. So, uh, Andy's wrote, she's getting, she's going to correct me. Compliance. She's, I think it was probably. Um, you, what you, we got fifteen views. <laughs> <laughs> it's very informative. It's, it's very exciting. That you, you know got, how many views do we got, Andy, on our YouTube channel? I think it's about a million now. We have a million um, views. That's pretty good. On four hundred videos. And then how many <laughs> wow. total minutes watched? Oh, I can't remember off the top of my head. Like a couple million. Five million. Five I think. million minutes. Something like that. Well, I think I watched it 999,000 <laughs> times myself because I just love that stuff, uh, especially, Joe, your social security web. It's, uh, it's really good. Hey, yeah. check out the new Bear Markets videos that Brian Perry did. They're really cool. There you go. Oh, okay. That's good. a self-plug because I produced them. Oh, well, there you go. Right? We, we got all we got, sorts of stuff this, on our website. This show has been nothing but plugs <laughs> the entire way. I just checked, and actually we're over 6 million views on our YouTube channel. You can find links to all the videos that we just mentioned and to the YouTube channel itself in the show notes for this episode at yourmoneyyourwealth.com. Just scroll to this conversation in the transcript and you'll see them. And hey, thank you to everybody that emailed me and let me know that the transcripts are actually useful to you. I do appreciate it. And we love hearing from our listeners so that we can make the show better for you. Now, if you've got a comment or a money question, you can call 888-994-6257 or email info at purefinancial.com. That's 888-994-6257 or email info at purefinancial.com and I'm probably the one that will reply to you. We also have a new video on how to apply for Social Security, but apparently it didn't quite cover enough. John from San Diego, he writes in, he goes, "Um, I watched the How to Apply for Social Security webinar on your website. So John's a big fan of the website, looks like, and he watched this video. But he still has a question. Okay. So apparently the video it sucked. Was, it, was, it was pretty good except for <laughs> answering all his questions. Right, exactly. <laughs> I heard somewhere, and it may have been on your show, it could be, uh, that there was a way to apply for my Social Security now. I'm 62. But not take it now, pushing it out to age 70. And age 70, decide to either take the full benefit per month I'm allocated at 70 or start a benefit. Or start a monthly benefit at age 70 that would have been my age 62 monthly benefit, but receiving lump sum at 70 for the money I would have earned if I started receiving actual monthly payments at 62. I hope this question makes sense. I'm thinking that lump sum payment would go a long way towards that red Ferrari (laughs) I dreamed about. It's Uh, all about the red Ferrari. It is. Yeah. John, I got bad news for you. Yeah, the rules changed. Uh, 2015. Two, two, yeah, 2015 and, and into 2016. So, and he's too young uh, for him to still qualify because you would have had to have been full retirement age by April. April 28th, uh, I believe, 2016. Yes. So. Maybe, maybe 29th. Remember, it was confusing what day it was? Right. It's, so it's but plus mid-April. plus or minus plus or minus a day. Let's go mid April. Uh, it's actually I can I can say end of April. Okay. It there was you go. within. The 20th to the 30th of April. Okay. So, <laughs> anyway. So what, Wait, what he's, we are precise. Here's what he's referring to, uh, for those of you taking score at home, um, is that there was a cool way that you could apply for benefits. It was called file and suspend. Right. So you would file for your benefits, and then you would suspend the benefits and let, let your benefits accrue. And there was two main reasons why people did this. Um, I would say the majority of the people that did it was to trigger a spousal benefit. Right. So what a spousal benefit is that if you're married, your spouse could either take their own benefit or half of yours. So, but for the spouse to claim a spousal benefit, you need to be claiming your benefit. 
And so in some instances, it didn't make sense to claim the benefit. So you could file for your benefit. Social Security turns it on, but then you say, no, I just want to suspend it. So it's on, but you're suspending the benefit, so you're not receiving payment, and it's still accruing. You're, it, it's like you never took it. Right. But then that triggered for a restricted application for the spouse to say, you know what? I want to take the spousal benefit. The spouse could take that benefit. Let yours continue to accrue. Right. And then you would turn yours on at age 70 like you never took it. Yeah, and, and also, Joe, if you were single, you could file and suspend. And then at any point between when you first do that to age 70, you could say, you know what? Instead of collecting my full benefits or, or increased benefits at 70, I just want to get a lump sum. Right. And and you might do that if you find out you're... You, if you, you want a Ferrari. You want a Ferrari all at one time. Where's that money? Oh, lump sum. Yeah. Well, John, most t- most of the time people did that because they had shortened life expectancy. True. But it's what's wrong with a red Ferrari? Wrong. You might go broke. <laughs> we take the larger benefit. Um, so anyway, John, sorry about that. So, so um, anyway, th- those rules changed. Both of those rules changed so that you can't do that lump sum anymore. Okay, so this is from Northern, um, confused in Northern California. Okay, you ready for this, Big Al? Yeah, let's do it. All right, my wife will be 65 in September and is already retired. I am 60 and still working and expect to for several more years. Currently, she and my daughter, age 23, no health plan at her current job, is on my health plan. And I pay hundreds of dollars twice a month to cover her. My wife has no pension or health benefits, just her IRA. She expects to start taking Social Security sometime after I retire. All right. You got okay. all that fact pattern? Yep, I'm there. All right. So here's the question. Okay. Should she sign up for Medicare? And if so, what part or parts or any supplements? Ah, okay. Because there's part A, part B, part C, part D. You got it. And then the Medigap. So my human resource department says that our health insurance has more coverage and better benefits than Medicare in not to sign up, and uh, that we have 18 months after I leave the company to sign up for Medicare, assuming I select to use COBRA when I leave. Uh, we called Medicare uh, a number of times, and they what it would, oh, we called the Medicare number, and they said to sign up for Part A hospitalization within three months before and three months after uh, turning 65 in order to print prevent future penalties. Uh, some online sources suggest that signing up for Medicare Part A and B and getting Medicare supplement insurance would save us money. Collecting these costs and comparing various out-of-pockets, uh, co-pays, co-insurance deductibles, max in and outs, uh, network costs is a nightmare. I'm an engineer, so I want to do this right. Damn right. it. Of course you do. <laughs> Love your show and podcast. Oh, that's well, that's sweet. We got a little smiley face. Thank you very much. Yeah. All you have to do is write a little um, something something at the. <laughs> what, what's it called? Um, say you like the show on the. Um, what, are you, what are you talking about? On the podcast, it's called a review or something. Oh, a, a show review, podcast sure. review. Yeah, I'm not asking him to do that, but if. <laughs> He if would, you if you do, if he would like to do that, that would be sweet. We, we would we wouldn't complain. Yes, I'm, I'm especially with a smiley face. Yes, we might answer love your, your show and podcast. Okay, so here's the deal. Um, I would definitely sign up for Part A. There's no cost to that because you've already paid it throughout your life. Sure. All right. Um, part B, you know, you could hold off on that until you actually retire. 
Um, so, yeah, checking out cost and things like that, it could probably save you some money. Uh, but that's where you have to do some comparable shopping. Yeah, so well, this this for a spouse, and I, I agree with that. So so part A, there's no cost to that. Part B, there is a cost for that. It's about 165 and, bucks a month. Yeah, well, yeah, and it depends upon your income, income right? right? And and so if, well, if, if he's listening to this show, it's probably going to be about 400 bucks a month. It's it, <laughs> If you're following our <laughs> advice, here's here's a better show. Well, no, for you. because he's making a ton of money. Yeah, right. So, so at any rate, that part A, there's no current cost to you. You're, you're right. You, it's already you've already paid the cost for that, so there's no problem there. Part B, since it costs money, and since the, your policy is already better, right, than the 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 Medicare, you might as well just keep with that. Now, what what's confusing, Joe, is you go to the website and internet sites, and they say, oh, if you don't sign up for Part B when you're 65, right, you're you get, get, get penalized. And that that's that's not true as long as your spouse has a has an appropriate health care plan. Correct. Which we won't go through all the right. There's an exemption to the penalties right. as long as you qualify, and, and this individual does qualify. Right, and so there's no reason to sign up for Part B now. Now Part D is is I'm going to skip C for a second. Part D is for medications, and presumably she wouldn't need to sign up for that because prescriptions. That, per, what did I say? Medications. What's well, the well same. same? Okay. Yeah, sure. Whatever. You're, you're correcting me. I probably <laughs> thought I said some Fact check. bizarre word. <laughs> okay. Prescriptions. Yes. Anyway, and then part C, that's that's kind of like it's sort of a combination of A, B, and D. So you don't you wouldn't need that. So just just part A. Hey, um, I encourage anyone that has questions on Medicare. Uh, we did a three or four part uh, webinar series on the A, B, C's, and D's we in did. Medicare. Jason Thomas, Jason right? Thomas, JT. Um, and then plus we had Dr. Katie um, Navato Vatava. Boltava. Yes. Um, hooked on phonics. <laughs> is, is, uh, she's awesome. Wait, she um, just said, call me Dr. Katie. I yeah, Dr. That. Katie. That's easier to say. Um, and so she's probably one of the smartest people that, that you and I have ever talked to. Um, in, in regards to Medicare. So we have a, I, I think we put together something uh, that we have on the website too, um, a white paper of some sort um, that, that she wrote that we gave away. If not, just email me and I'll, and I'll figure out a you'll, way to get You'll it. find it. Yeah, I'll find it. <laughs> All right, that's it for us for Big Al Clopin. I'm Joe Anderson. Show's called Your Money Your Medicare videos, white papers, downloads, we've got it all at yourmoneyyourwealth.com. Just type Medicare into the search at the top and you'll find all those resources you need. Special thanks to today's guest, Michael Batnick. Get Michael's book, Big Mistakes, The Best Investors and Their Worst Investments at his website, theirrelevantinvestor.com. Subscribe to this podcast at yourmoneyyourwealth.com or find us on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Overcast, Player FM, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And thank you so much for the folks that have left us ratings and reviews at iTunes. Listen next time for more Your Money, Your Wealth presented by Pure Financial Advisors. Get a free financial assessment at purefinancial.com. Pure Financial Advisors is a registered investment advisor. This show does not intend to provide personalized investment advice through this broadcast and does not represent that the securities or services discussed are suitable for any investor. Investors are advised not to rely on any information contained in the broadcast in the process of making a full and informed investment decision. Next week, Joel Com. See you then.